a dream. What was that? Was that just a dream? It can't be so real. Hey, Benjamin. Psst, Benjamin, wake up. Uh, Benjamin, oh, Reuben. Uh, Judah, Simeon. Yes, I see I've, I've woken all of you. Ah, uh, sorry, I, well, I had a dream. No, no, it wasn't scary. It was, well, it was good. It was sort of, it was strange. Yeah. Um, can, I can I tell you about it? I'm, I'm sorry I woke you, but it was so different. I, we were out in the field. We were, we were bundling our, our sheaves. And, well, my sheaf, my sheaf, it rose up. It rose up really big, really tall. You, you should have seen it. it. It just, it got very big. And, well, um, your sheaves, all of your sheaves, they, they, well, they laid down next to my sheaf. I guess they bowed down to my sheaf. I, Judah, uh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to make you angry. I'm just, I just had a dream. I, this is my father's coat. He gave me this coat. Judah, please, please don't hurt me. Father would be so upset. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll go back to sleep. I, I just had a dream. I just, I had a dream. A dreamer. Oh, thank you, Mother. Oh, this looks so good. Oh, yes, I'd like some. F Father? Father, would you like some? Yes, it is very good. Um, while, while we're eating, Father, I, well, I was hoping I could tell you something. I'd like, I'd like to tell you about a dream that I had. Oh, oh you, heard, you heard about my dream from, from the brothers. Yes, this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a different dream. Yes. Um, may I tell you about it? I, I'm so interested in it, and it seems, it seems really important. So, uh, well, in my dream, Father, I saw the sun, and, and I saw the moon, and I saw stars. It, it, was, it was very beautiful. Um, I, I didn't imagine it, but I, I, in my dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars... They, they bowed down to me, Father. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you seem upset. I didn't, I, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm not trying to be mean. I just, I, I'm not making it up. It, it, it felt so real. And, Father, I'm sorry. I, I'm not a dreamer. I, I'm not. I just, Father, I just had a dream. I just had a dream.
Have you had a dream? Is there anyone here today who's holding on to a dream that has not yet come true? Is there anyone here who's waiting? Who feels stuck? I'm not talking about the sleeping kind of dream where you wake up and you had some vivid imagination about something. Possibly the Lord may speak in that way. He has in countless times throughout history and uh, will continue to do so, I'm sure. But have you had a dream, I mean a vision, a passion, an idea, a stirring, a longing, a hope, a desire, and you just cannot seem to quench it, and you know it's not just something you've made up or mustered up? Have you had a dream? Maybe it's a new dream, and your excitement is tangible. You're in the early days of your dream, and you're thinking, oh, this is so exciting, and it's going to come true, and you're certain of it, and you're longing for it, and you're anticipating it. Or maybe it's a decades-old dream, and the very thought of it in this moment awakens a deep grief and sorrow, because it is so many years unfulfilled. We all have dreams. We all have passions and desires and longings. I suspect we also have all waited for a dream, wondering, will it ever come true? This is a message for those who find themselves waiting. Waiting. Though we don't often think like this, the word waiting must be one of the least desirable words in the English language. Just think about it for a moment. We don't like to wait. Nobody wants to wait. Please, wait in line. We're waiting for results. You're going to have to wait your turn. Waiting is uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. It's an interruption. It does not feel good. It might increase your anticipation. For example, if you're about to have a Thanksgiving meal and you can smell the aromas and the, the, the more you wait, the hungrier you get and the more you anticipate and long for it to be true. But waiting for a long period of time for a dream that's yet to be realized is deeply uncomfortable. By human nature, we want what we want and we want it right now. Waiting is so unpleasant. Still, we are all prone to experience seasons of what can feel like a lifetime of waiting. And there are circumstances and there are seasons where it just cannot be avoided, contrary to our deepest desire. I wish we could hear today from one of the most notable little brothers in all of Scripture, Joseph. The story he could tell us about waiting, about receiving a dream from God. And I'm talking about Old Testament Joseph, Genesis Joseph. This is a story of receiving a dream and then living for years in dark and lonely and desolate places and still choosing to trust in God. In the story of Joseph, we find this highly favored younger brother with a beautiful coat of many colors. The lavish love of his father combined with his self-elevating dream 
ostracizes him. His brothers wanted to bury him in the ground, but instead they put him in a pit and they sold him into slavery. And after rising up from the dust of this experience, he finds himself unjustly jailed for doing the God-honorable right thing when his boss's wife tries to seduce him. And it doesn't stop there. He then faces years in jail wondering what has happened to this dream. And then when two co-prisoners have a dream, don't think that that didn't hurt deep inside of Joseph. Oh, a dream. Yeah, I had one. Oh, now God's asking me to interpret your dream. Okay, okay, I'll interpret your dream. And divinely, he interprets the dream by the power of God. And still, nothing in his circumstance changes. He stays a prisoner. He stays stuck in jail for doing the right thing, for honoring God and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet unwavering, he waits in the dirt. He waited for God to bring life where surely he could only see death. How could you see life in his circumstance, walking through the thick of it? You see, Joseph was called God put a dream within him. He didn't sit there imagining as a child, you know, I think one day when I grow up, I want to rule over my family. It wasn't a random, yeah, I think that'll be fun idea. Or like, hey, this is something kids try to do when they're older. This was a God-given, God-appointed dream. God was telling Joseph, one day, a day is coming when you will be given great power and authority. So much so, that your own family will bow before you, your mother, your father, your brothers. This didn't take days and weeks for the fulfillment. This was years of waiting. The impossibility of this dream would have been so evident to Joseph. It was not lost on him that he wasn't even with his family. They thought him to be dead and wanted him to be dead. And here he is, stuck in jail. His dream had died years ago in that pit when he was stuck in the dirt. So what are we to do when a dream from God feels like it's stuck in the dirt? What are we to do? I have been mulling over Genesis chapter 2 for a number of months. I'll admit that when I first read these verses that Jim read to us earlier, It was uh, in the summer, and I was quite caught off guard by what it says. In fact, I did one of those double takes. Maybe you've never done this, but I have a few times where I'm like, what Bible am I reading? Where did this come from? Because this wasn't in here before. And I did this like, "Mm," checking the, you know, checking the binding, going online, making sure I've got like a reference point. And it's real. It's in there. But I was caught off guard. And so we're going to take another look at it. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to zero in on verses 4 to 6. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. I don't know if you caught the intensity of this passage. 
but it has been mulling over for me for months. Because there's this incredible picture of the glorious creation that God has put forth that lay partially dormant. And that feels off-putting to me. How could something be incomplete? God created it. The seeds in the ground. There must be plants, shrubs, trees, grass, green beauty everywhere. We look outside and we have it. Seasonally, maybe. But we have it. How is it that there was a moment in creation when there was no green shrubs, grass, plants on the earth? You see, the created word of God had gone forth, holding all of the potential for lush green growth, for fruit. All of the potential, but God had not yet sent the rain to bring it to life. There, stuck in the dirt, was this created work coming soon. Green grass, ready to grow. Plants and shrubs and trees, waiting to come from the dirt, ready to reveal the beauty that we now see every day, waiting. What if God would just send the rain? Then it could grow. Then the plant can be fruitful. You may know this feeling personally. If God would answer this prayer, then it will bear fruit. The interesting thing about a seed in the ground is that it cannot change its circumstances. It is simply waiting for the right conditions to grow. It has one job, wait. That's all it can do. It's a seed. But it sounds a lot like what God does in the waiting in our lives. He is just creating the conditions for our growth. Even when we don't want to grow, and often we don't want to grow, Imagine if the seed had the ability to uproot itself, to escape the darkness that comes with being stuck in the dirt. Imagine if the seed could crawl itself out of the dirt and sit on the top, on the surface. What would happen to that seed? It wouldn't grow. The fruit cannot come until the conditions are right. The darkness, the soil, the sunlight, the rain... All are required. So the seed waited in Genesis until God sent the rain. Joseph knew the hardship of waiting for rain from God. He understood profoundly what it felt like to wait in the darkness, in the dirt, wondering when God would bring fruit to his dream. Now I suspect you also have felt this waiting. You have longed for the fruit to grow on the tree, but lost hope that it was ever going to happen. The seed that was planted in that dream must have been a dud. There are several important dynamics to consider in this deeply personal part of our existence when we are dreaming, longing, waiting. Romans 8, verse 28 is helpful in this conversation. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a beautiful verse when we are basking in the goodness of God. This is a painful verse when we are doubting the presence of God. 
For those who love God, all things work together for good. So when things don't seem good, one could wonder, is it my love for God? Am I not loving him properly? Am I not loving him adequately? Am I missing something? The difficulty with a verse like this is that we suppose that we know what good means. And believe me, I am at the front of this train when it comes to the word good. (laughs) You see, I have some pretty clear ideas of what good looks like in Jarrell's life. I know pretty clearly what God's goodness in my life should look like, according to me. In fact, I'm happy to be a consultant for God on this matter, willing to give him all the details of how this current situation ought to be resolved so that I continue loving him and seeing his goodness. Seems like a great little pattern. I'll tell you what means good, you make it good, I'll feel good, we'll worship you, it'll just go round and round, it'll be fantastic. Seems like a great plan. But the problem is that my definition of good is actually irrelevant in this conversation. If God had chosen to give me all my good ideas over the past 43 years, I would be a serious mess. My narrow-minded, short-sighted version of goodness would have cost me, and not only me, all of those around me exponentially, time and time again. More importantly, what if, what if God's goodness in Romans 8.28 is actually more like Christ-likeness? to be more like his son, reflecting the image of Jesus. You know, some of us need to hear that there is actually a good that God intends for us that is not necessarily achieved through our satisfaction or through the realization of a dream. There is a good that only God can see. There is a dream that he placed in you, and contrary to our desire, the outcome may actually be less about the dream and more about the waiting. That might sound very unfair. Why would God give me this dream if he isn't going to give it to me? What if he's not going to give it to me right away? Why would he put this dream in my heart? Why would he do that? I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I do know that the goodness God has in store may not be the fulfillment of that dream. That not, might not be the goodness that he wants to do. His goodness may be something entirely different. It may be your faithfulness and your obedience to Jesus Christ while you wait for the fulfillment. Faithfulness in the day-to-day, regardless of the end goal, is an act of obedience, submission, and surrender to God. The very narrative of Joseph models this kind of obedience. Here's Joseph, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, living now in the home of Potiphar, rising the ranks, moving up the ladder. He's not so bad Yes, he's lost his family. Yes, his future looks bleak. Yes, he's a slave, will end up being a slave for life. But he's moving up the ranks. He's got some opportunities. And here comes 
Potiphar's wife to seduce him. And with the dream now long dead, Joseph could have said, it doesn't even matter. This actually is a way to gain more influence. This is a way to gain more power. This is a way to make myself feel better in the middle of my difficult circumstance. But instead, he says, no, the right thing is to run out of this room. You can keep my cloak. I'm out of here. I have nothing to do with this. And it costs him, and he ends up in jail. Faithful, obedient, and a consequence for doing the right thing. So there he is in prison. And he rises the ranks again in jail. I don't know how bad your circumstances are, but I have a hard time imagining you'd be willing to trade with Joseph. Here he is in jail, working his way up the ladder in jail. How do you work your way up the ladder in jail? And he gets the opportunity to interpret dreams. Dreams that feel so far gone for him. So he does thinking maybe this, this is how God will rescue me. When you get out, please be favorable to me. The dream interpreted, please let the king know, have mercy on me. Silence. Joseph didn't wait until he was in power before he did what was right. Catch that? He didn't wait till everything worked out and then now I'll be obedient. He chose to be obedient to God even when God seemed silent. Our desired outcome in situations is often very short-sighted. We see dimly, but he sees clearly. Still, we are prone to our own foggy vision over his. I am. I suspect you are too. Somewhere around 10 years ago, I faced a breaking point of a dream. I had this dream that God was asking our family to build a house with Katie's parents and to move into one house together, to live in community with them, to share meals and life and resources together. As you may be aware, this is actually a pretty uncommon thing, particularly for a son-in-law to be the catalyst to sharing a home together. Some of you are wondering what's wrong with me. Most often when I tell people about it, they say, oh, that's good for you, Jarrell. I could never live with my in-laws. That's what they say time and time again. Oh, that sounds great, but I could never do that with my in-laws. And they often have a reason why. As though somehow our situation was more divine, more appropriate, more okay, and so it was better for us. Even now, the idea is so far-fetched and bizarre. I didn't muster up an idea and go, hey, this would be fun. Why don't we try this? This is something God put in my heart, in my mind. And I thought, well, let's try it. And we took steps closer and closer and started talking and praying and discerning and talking with other friends and, 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 and wondering and, and planning and looking at houses and then looking at land and trying to figure it out. And one day... After a particularly significant defeat in the journey, I quite literally threw up my hands and I said, fine, I give up. It's not going to happen. We can't make it work. And I was confused. Uh, I impulsively decided the dream must not be from God. I must have made it up and it's over. 
It's done. In a sense, you could say I was surrendering. I waved the white flag. Well, two days later, we purchased a piece of property and have shared a home together since 2016. I can't say for sure why God was waiting until I gave up, but I suspect it had a lot to do with letting him be God and be in control and making sure that Jarrell just got out of the way. I do wish I'd surrendered sooner, but that's not how we behave, is it? We tend to avoid the discomfort of waiting, but God is so patient in getting our undivided attention. The truth is, adversity in the waiting is the breeding ground of trust. There's a choice to be made. Will I choose to trust him? Or will I let the battle of doubt win the war in my mind? Waiting is difficult. Like me, you may find in the waiting that you prefer to just give up. You find you turn to despair. Woe is me. And so we complain, we grumble, we pout, and we whine. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I certainly am in the camp that does this. Maybe you don't complain. Maybe that's not your go-to. But when things don't work out and you're stuck, maybe you turn to this one. One of the very messy ways that we're tempted to respond in a situation where a dream has gone cold is to take matters into our own hands, to deviate, to find a new path. It's a story of Abraham and his maidservant. Okay, God gave me a dream and he's absent, so I'm just going to make this happen. So Abraham says, uh, Sarai, uh, your maidservant, that's how we're going to uh, father many nations. That's the plan. God's silent. Let's, let's bear a child through your maidservant. Then we'll fulfill this father of many nations plan, and it'll be great. Except for it wasn't great, and it wasn't God's plan. So he bears a child through Sarah's maidservant, completely circumventing the promise of God apart from God. I don't need you, God. I can do it without you. Don't be fooled. The result of moving forward on the promise of God without the provision of God is always disastrous. Often in the waiting, we wrestle with doubt, wondering, where is God? Doesn't he see me? Doesn't he know that I am in the dirt waiting? Can't he just send the rain to bring life to this dream? For some in this journey, the doubt is so heavy, so wearying, they decide, well, then God must not be real. And if he is, I don't want anything to do with him because he's so absent. That might be you today. You're wondering, doubting, can I even trust this God who seems so far away? For those of you who have yet to put your trust in him, I can't promise you a life of ease and comfort and all your dreams and desires satisfied. 
but it is a place to find hope in the waiting. And you can surrender to him today. The songs that they sang this morning and, and, and as we continue in the service in a moment indicate that there is a Savior who loves you, who died for you. He has a dream for you. All you have to do is surrender your life to him. It is important to mention that God can handle when you do these things, when you doubt, when you deviate, circumvent his will, when you deconstruct your faith, when you complain and whine and pout. He can handle it. You can complain to God and you can complain to anyone else too. You can even deviate from the plan of God on your life, the simple realities that despair or circumventing the will of God or doubting God, those are your choice. You can do them, but it won't make it any easier. In fact, it will only cause more pain for you and for others on the journey, but you don't have to protect God from these things. You can save yourself from a lot of grief if you choose to faithfully and obediently wait, and I know it's hard. Even when the dream is lost and you're stuck in a pit wondering if your brothers are going to kill you, sell you, or abandon you, you can faithfully wait. Oh, it's hard. But I'm here today to tell you that you can do it. Like Joseph, we can choose to be obedient and faithful in the day-to-day because the choices that you make today may not seem like they will impact the dream, but they do. Your obedience today is the work that God is offering you while you wait. So cry out to God. Let him know, God, this is hard. God, what do I do? God, where are you? God, why are you so silent? My prayer journal gets pretty desperate and thematic on a regular basis. When I look back at it now, I can almost... It can almost seem funny how some things were so significant to me two or three or five or ten years ago, and they're resolved now. But in those seasons, man, it's hard. God is not blind. He can see your situation, but he is also not deaf. So what is stopping you from approaching him in prayer and asking him to move again? Cry out to him. In Psalm 77, we see this remarkable contrast for the waiting. You might even call it a wrestling match of waiting. The psalmist says in verse 1 and 2, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. He's crying out, even though the answer isn't coming yet. Pick it up at verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be faithful, favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? It's like, God, do you know? Have you heard? I've been trying to tell you. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, And this is the shift. 
I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I can't see your faithfulness in this, but I can see your faithfulness in all that. I can see the thread. I don't see it here. I don't know if I'll ever see it here, but I can see it here, and you're still good, and I will still worship you, and I will still cry out to you. The psalmist poignantly contrasts their desperation and circumstance with the sovereignty of God. It's a holy act of surrender taking place. Has God forgotten? Joseph had every reason to believe that he had. This psalmist seems to wonder if he had. Still, the posture and the response is not my will, but yours be done. These words spoken by Jesus model effectively waiting in the midst of suffering. Father, if you, if you can, take this from me. If you would just take this, but not my will, yours be done. It seems to me that we as North American Christians, we have a growing sense of entitlement in this conversation. It, strangely, it's almost like the, we think that we are supposed to be freed up from adversity, like we deserve to be freed up from adversity. So we hold on to a verse like Philippians 4.19 as one of literal fulfillment, and it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Too many Christians today are looking for a genie God who is supposed to bring them relief from any and every hardship. God will supply my every need. Perfect. God, here's my list of needs. If you just check those boxes, that would be super. God will supply all my needs. What we need and what we want, not always the same thing. What we need and what we want are not always the same thing. Truthfully, the promise this side of eternity is actually dying to ourselves. That's the promise. There is no promise that says we'll have all our longings and our desires satisfied and we'll all live happily ever after. I don't want to die to myself. I want to satisfy my every desire. And thankfully, God knows that I can't have that. For some of you, you need to alter your perspective. You need to come humbly before God, and you need to seek his will and not your own. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You see, there's a craving in you, and there's a craving in me that can only be met one way. One. It's a longing found only in Jesus Christ. Satisfied only in him. Still fleeting until we commune with him fully and completely in eternity. The gap right now is proximity. Draw near to him and you can feel satisfied. You can feel full. Push away from him and there is no experience or pleasure that can satisfy you on this planet. Now there are some here today that I need to speak quite compassionately towards. You may be thinking right now, I don't want every desire satisfied. My desire isn't even for me. This dream 
This dream, Jarrell, this is the salvation of my child. This is the salvation of my parent, my friend, my neighbor. This isn't a bad dream. This isn't something I'm mustering up. This dream, it's the healing of a deep sickness. This dream, it's the overcoming of a brokenness in a heart that I just can't, I can't explain. This dream, it's not a selfish desire, and it's not for my own benefit, but still, I cannot see the working hand of God. I want you to know that I am so sorry for the waiting that you are enduring. I know that some of you are in the thick of it, and it is so hard. I'm not poking at you to try harder. I'm not trying to guilt you to surrender. I don't know why God is slow in coming, but I know your obedience in the day-to-day while you wait is an act of worship, which he is still worthy. Like a seed in the ground, we are all waiting on this side of eternity. The invitation is to remain faithful while waiting for the fulfillment. As we prepare to close, I want to share with you a poem from Sarah Bournes Crosby. Sarah lives in Columbus, Ohio, and I connected her with her through a leadership program that we were a part of. And you can find her writings at sarahbornscrosby.com. Uh, and she wrote a poem that we put in your bulletin, and I will read to you now. And the poem is titled, The Darker the Dirt, the Richer the Soil. The darker the dirt, the richer the soil. It's true. I Googled it. The most nutrient-rich soil is the inky black stuff, thick with manure and compost, worms and decay. And this, this is where life is planted. Seeds only grow in the dark, buried deep, far from the day's light. Spring only open her eyes after winter's long, long night. A caterpillar forms wings within the stillness of the cocoon. A baby's heart begins to beat inside the silence of the womb, hibernation, incubation, gestation, germination, all of these take place in the dark. It would seem then that darkness is one of the key ingredients for transformation. Jesus himself, the light of the world, yielded to darkness. In some of his most profound moments on earth, we find him up Late at night, awake before the dawn, calming gray, stormy seas, praying in a dimly lit garden, hanging under a sunless sky on the cross, lying enclosed in the tomb. Jesus knows darkness. Jesus knows waiting. And he waits with us in the dark. Like seeds, he buries us in the inky soil of waiting, and he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls deep into the ground and breaks open and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it waits, it will grow roots, 
And those roots, they'll produce shoots. And those shoots will break ground and they will bring forth much fruit. But oh, the long wait in the stillness of the soil, in the stillness of the soul, when only then you really know just how slow a seed grows. And the waiting feels unending and the questions don't have answers and it seems like nothing is happening at all. Take heart. There is so much more going on in the darkness under the surface that you, than your eyes can see just yet. You're waiting today. Your way seems dark. You feel as though you are being buried down in the deep. Jesus is there too, waiting with you in the dark night of the soul, in the deep dark of the soil. And sometimes, He doesn't turn on the light, but always he is with us through the night. And he says, dear one, there is a depth that comes in the darkness. You can't find any other way. There's a peace budding quietly within that sustains you for today. There's a beauty hidden in the fog. If only you have eyes to see. There's a richness buried in the waiting that only time reveals. And perhaps what feels like a burial is more of a planting. And perhaps what seems like dying will one day be resurrecting. And perhaps what looks like darkness is simply the moment before the dawn. Let's face it. It is incredibly difficult to endure seasons of waiting. Seasons of darkness. And if you feel like you are trapped in the dirt right now, I want you to hear that there is hope. There is a Savior who loves you, who's willing to be with you in the dirt. He hasn't destined you to stay stuck in the dark, alone and abandoned. He will use this to bring light and life. Wait for him to send the rain. Trust in him. Turn your desires over to him, and when you're feeling stuck in the dirt, choose to remain faithful even before the fulfillment. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, in many ways, I know nothing about waiting. I know nothing about the darkness of the dirt. There are some here today, if we understood their story, it would undo us. And you know theirs, you know mine, you know ours. You hold it all graciously, lovingly, tenderly. You long for relationship with us. You invite us to be faithful in the waiting. And it is hard. So Father God, would you send your comforter to those who are feeling it today? Would you bring peace where the stormy seas are pretty unrelenting? Would you remind us again that you're still good even when we cannot see your goodness in this circumstance and that you are still worthy of our worship? Remind us of your presence 
that you're with us in the dirt. And thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, who knows intimately what it means to be alone in the dark. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.